May BFF brings you the biggest First Friday event of the year. Benson is in full summer mode with the beginning of BFF's Summer Street Series and a packed schedule of events. You won't want to miss this art crawl. Join BFF Friday, May 3rd for the first installment of the Summer Street Series. BFF will close off Military Avenue to set up an artist market featuring 60 local artists, makers, and vendors. Don't miss an on-street DJ, live performers and artists, the new American food tent pop-up, and more. Benson First Friday doesn't exist without your support. See you there. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I am Tom Noblock. Today on the show, I've got Mike Burns, who's the star of a new movie called Chit, uh, about Anthony Brenner. We talked a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago by the time this posts, uh, with Danny Machado, who is directing the movie. It's a current, currently filming. It's a local project. Uh, it's exciting. It's got a lot of uh, buzz going on, a lot of very talented people in it. Uh, and Mike is somebody who's been in a lot of local projects, both from theater to film. He recently starred in the feature Level Up as well. That's the first time I was made aware of him. The first time I met him, actually. Uh, and he's basically a rising star who's thinking about, like, well, do I stay here? Do I get out? What do I do? Uh, and he's had a lot of sort of versatility to the roles he's been playing. So it's very fun to be able to talk to him about that. As far as local projects go, before we get into that conversation, let me first plug something that uh, that we made. So, uh, in January, we filmed a new short with Will Forget called The Debut. The Debut is debuting today, as you're listening to this, Friday, May 3rd, uh, at the Lincoln Short Film Festival, which is obviously in Lincoln, Nebraska. So if you happen to be in Lincoln and you happen to not have plans tonight, if you're listening to this as the, as it came out, please go check out the debut. I, uh, Ben's not going to be able to be there. I don't even know if I'm going to be there. However, uh, it'll be fun. It's a, the first time the movie's ever played in front of an audience other than, I don't know, I guess people we've shown. But uh, it hasn't played on a big scale, so that'll be very fun. And uh, I'm excited. I think it's a crowd pleaser. We haven't really made a crowd pleaser. All our movies, uh, everyone comes up to us after them and they're like, this made me think about things that was weird. Or they come up and say, I didn't really want to think. I don't get it. Like, hey, what, what was that? This one's just uh, dumb fun. That's where we're going now. Dumb fun. Um, and so this is sort of like the first, I would say the first movie in phase two of the Exarvin Creative Experiment. And I'm excited for people to be able to see it. I think Will Forge is one of those guys that... You could throw him in any kind of fictional conflict, and I'm always interested to see what he's up to, and there's something about him. He's just got that leading man quality, and I'm really excited to be able to work with him again, even though we shot the whole thing in a day, which was really hard, and we had some various problems. Ben and I maybe will talk maybe in more depth about some of the production problems in a future date, but basically the movie will be premiering. There will be other screenings, uh, short film screenings. Uh, and well, of course, it's, it's a short film, so they're my short film festivals, is what I mean to say. Um, we'll see if we get into film streams this year. Film streams doesn't like us very much in terms of the stuff we send them ever, so we'll see. Maybe we got some clout now that I talked to Rachel Jacobson. It went pretty well, got along with her. You think that get, does that help? I don't know. We'll see, I guess. Uh, the lady who I submitted that one to, she uh, I met her, she was at the thing, I've talked to her before. I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like if you meet the filmmaker. Do you humanize them enough that you start to feel bad if you reject their stuff? I mean, hopefully it's good, too. That's another consideration. I don't know. I talked with Mike today about a number of different things. So one of those is just that point where it's like 
you go from just making a lot of things, uh, doing a lot of work, to then there's some moment when you make stuff where you really find your voice, you find where you're comfortable. And I don't know exactly how to describe that, but Mike talks about his moment with that, where he was playing William Shakespeare, of all people, and he said something really clicks for him. He's like, okay, now I, I get what I can do. I get sort of who I am in this role. And I think that Ben and I took a long time maybe to like really had to have that gel with the, the production elements that are needed to make something that's like very slick to watch. And I feel like we have finally gotten there. And this is sort of like a dry run in tone for the feature that we're working on, which is all dumb and goofy too. So you can tell as you listen to this episode though, that Mike is in a different space right now because he's working on this movie where he plays a killer and it's this dark performance and it's a dark movie. Uh, Danny in the previous episode said it's something kind of maybe along the lines of Taxi Driver in that sense. And I think that you'll see that one of the things I'm kind of grappling with that I think is interesting is this question of one of the main things you try to do as an actor is bring humanity to the roles. You don't want to just play a cartoon character, especially not if it's something that's trying to have some kind of real gravitas. And if you're the main character, you have to bring some degree of true human vulnerability and relatability because that's sort of what you're there for. Um, but there is something weird uh, about trying to humanize a, a bad person, right? And I think Mike has a very clear philosophy that he's figured out about why, what the value is in doing something like that. And I think that's really interesting and not something that I'd heard articulated before. So I think that's an interesting way to look at art. And I don't want to spoil too much of it, but it's like, should you humanize the worst people? What do you gain from that? What is art's role in that? Is that art's role to do that? I don't know. I think all that's interesting. So I will just stop talking and we'll let Mike do the talking himself because he's got a lot to say. Uh, I think he had a good time. I got a few impressions out of him. That's, I think it's a new goal of mine is how many impressions can I get people to do? I've never had an impressionist on. We got uh, Cameron Logston did his Jay Leno impression. Really enjoyed that. Um, Mike does Batman, the Joker, and Bane. So thank God Ben wasn't in the room because they would have had an impression off. Maybe uh, maybe a future episode will have that happen. All right. Without further ado, oh, one last thing I want to talk about. This show costs money to make. So if you uh, appreciate what we're doing, please look at our Patreon. We've got a Patreon account set up. If you are basically at all a regular listener, please consider at least giving us a dollar a month at patreon.com slash creative. That helps the show continue to go. Helps us do all the things that hopefully you appreciate that we're doing. So, all right. That's it. That's my last thing. That's my last plug. So, Without further ado, please listen to my conversation with Mike Burns. We have to do some time on air, and mm. that was always the worst, is listening to myself. I just wanted to take it off. <laughs> I mean, do you feel that way about uh, acting, too, in general? Like, do you like watching your own performances? Um, I'll, I'll tell you when we start recording. How about we're, that? We're recording now. I, I just we're went ahead and did it. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, you're not doing, like, an introduction? <laughs> I'll do that. I'll do it after. I'll add it in. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> They'll know who you are. You bet. You bet. Um, yeah, so when it when it comes to acting, I'm, um, I'm probably one of the most self-critical people. Well, every actor is the most self-critical person they know. So uh, same thing with watching my performances. Like, I just watched myself in the clearing and I was like, 
uh, so nervous while doing it. And then I'd be like, oh my gosh, I just phoned it in there. I'm sure everyone can tell I phoned <laughs> it in there. Like that, that's so bad. And then I would surprise myself and be like, wow, I can't believe I just did that. That was really good. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I think everybody feels that way to some extent. I mean, part of one of the reasons I would think for an actor doing plays, at least it's like, that's, that's done. It's it's over right, now. Right. right. No one can go back and dig up my old early stuff. <laughs> um, oh, but they do. Well, so when did uh, you first decide acting is interesting? Maybe I want to try that. Oh, man. Um, well, I, I did no acting in high school. Really? Whatsoever. No, okay. none. I was uh, a straight uh, just athlete. Athletics was my thing and mostly wrestling, though. That's um, that was kind of my bread and butter. I just loved it, adored it. And then um, when senior year happened and I figured out I wasn't going to be able to wrestle in college, at least at the time I wanted to do architecture and none of the wrestling colleges that would be at my level. Cause I really wasn't the greatest wrestler. I loved it, but it's not like I was <laughs> Olympic material or anything like that. Are you still um, interested in architecture or have you pivoted entirely to the no, arts? No. So essentially what happened was, um, yeah, I mean, I was interested at the time. Mm. I still love it because of the art, but, um, my English composition teacher, I'll never forget my last day, she calls me in and we had to do this big report and she's like, Mike, I'm really sorry. And I go, what, what, what happened? It's like someone died or something. And she's like, you did your final paper all wrong. And I go, what? No. Like, are, are you going to pass me? And she's like, I'm going to pass you as long as you promise me that you're going to pursue screenwriting. And I'm like, I didn't care at the time. I'm just like, yes, like I'll do it. Like <laughs> deal. <laughs> well, wait, wait, hold on. So what, what was the project? What did you do wrong? Uh, well, so essentially we had to write a, a 20 page paper about someone in a documentary like format, like a script for a documentary. No, 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 no. More uh, not uh, when I say document, I didn't mean like documentary. I meant more like, um, just a informative, like article reading, like stuff. And like instead, a profile of the yes, person. Okay, okay. Like All a right. yeah, biography. That's the word I was Got looking okay. for. And instead, I basically wrote like a script. Was that like with dialogue and things yep. and, and scenes? That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it must have been pretty good though. It, because yeah, exactly. Yeah. She said, "I'm going to pass you as long as you go and uh, pursue writing." And I did. I went and I studied at UNO, and my teacher there was like, "Hey, if you're interested in this." you should also try acting. You should try directing. And I'm like, sure, teacher, I'll, I'll do that. Bye-bye so, architecture. <laughs> pretty much. Like and, security. Uh, I auditioned. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, security would be nice. <laughs> um, so I did. I auditioned uh, for the school play, which at the time was Dracula. And I had no idea what I was doing. I just walked in and I like tried to smile. I did everything wrong. I went up and like, you're not supposed to shake anyone's hand unless they oh, really? extend okay. their hand to you. Yeah. As uh, when you're auditioning. And of course I go in and I shake everyone's hand and there was like 20 people there and <laughs> it was like the most awkward. <laughs> it, it felt like 10 minutes, but it was probably only like one minute. I was just saying, hi, I'm Mike Burns. Hi, I'm Mike Burns over and over again down the line. Were you auditioning for Dracula, the character? I was. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I got called back for Dracula, Jonathan Harker, and I think those were actually the only two, but... Who'd you end up playing? Um, Harker. Okay, yeah, because Harker seems like, uh, from what little acting I've seen of yours, I feel like that is a good fit. Yes. <laughs> Dracula is tough to play, I feel like, unless you're old. 
Like to be young and play Dracula is hard. Yeah, and we actually we we had a great actor. He he's in graduate school in Florida right now, Michael Judah, and he played. Oh, Dracula. I know Michael Judah. Oh, you know Michael? Yeah, Judah? I've yeah. almost worked with him a couple times. Yeah, he's wonderful. He was so good. He was able to uh, because essentially at the beginning of the story, Dracula was really old, and he invites uh, me Harker into his house and. He wants me to sell him a new home in a populated area because he pretty much killed everyone in Transylvania. So, uh, yeah. And then by the end of the play, after he's, you know, done all of his Dracula vampire deeds, he's young again and refreshed. And Michael Judah did great at that. Did Michael Judah. I mean, I've seen Michael Judah do multiple types of acting. Uh, I actually went to the same high school as he did. Oh, did you really? (laughs) I think he. Yeah, he was there. I probably saw one play or something when he was in it. And uh, he. I feel like has the I've probably never seen him do the understated role. I've seen him do big a lot. Did oh, he go big with Dracula? Oh yeah, <laughs> Transylvanian accent. But 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 like, uh, there's Michael J is the perfect uh, example of truth has no size. You know, truth can be as small as film acting, or it can be as you know big as uh, Jim Carrey. <laughs> but you know, as long as you're truthful, and I think Michael Judah is the perfect example of yeah. Even though he was big, and some people would say over the top, he was still brilliant. He's also like a vampire, you know. It's mean, <laughs> Dracula. Like, you can go big with Dracula. Um, so that's true. You did Dracula. You did Dracula. You were Jonathan yeah. Harker, and it was. Was that your first play you'd ever done? That's ever. And so what was that process like of acclimating to oh what it's like to do gosh. a play? I mean, um, it was, I mean, it wasn't that different. I mean, I, I, you know, like I said, I was an athlete. So going from practice to, to rehearsals, I mean, was really just semantics. Rehearsal is just an interchangeable name with practice in my mind. Uh, That's interesting. So I guess uh, because it's like in a practice, you have to learn certain things that you do, uh, right. that you repeat in the order of things is probably not drastically different from lines, right? It really, no, I mean, it really isn't. And then at the, the same time, I mean, you basically just try to <laughs> forget, clear your mind, live in the moment and, uh, yeah, do your best that you can at that point in pursuing your objectives. So really, I mean, the phrase actors are emotional athletes, I think is totally true. Uh, yeah, we have practices, we have our games, which are our performances, and uh, in every single scene, somebody wins and loses. Somebody gets what they want, and someone doesn't. So, Interesting. Yeah. Were you afraid of learning your lines and making sure you'd actually remember them? Like, it's hard to trust yourself. Oh, it's so hard to trust yourself, but that's when the best <laughs> acting comes, when you finally just let go. Um, when did that happen? Oh, um, I'm still working on it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, like, does anyone ever really let go and get to that place? Oh, I think um, Matthew McConaughey had a great Oscar speech where he was saying, um, you know, we're always aiming for that that magical moment. And sometimes we don't get there, but guy, by God, we're going to try. And I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing the hell out of that. But um, I, I think, yeah, I, I, you know, there's no such thing as the perfect actor. There's just... Um, the perfect you and the role. And then you just try and do your best to live in the imaginary circumstances of the role and be as truthful as you can while you're doing that. And so, I mean, did you get to a place where you're happy with what you're doing on Dracula? Uh, yeah, that's when I didn't know what I was doing. Now that I know what I'm doing, I'm never... Yeah. F- can I cuss? Yeah, <laughs> I'm no, never go fucking for- satisfied with it. <laughs> <laughs> but because so, on that one, you're like, yeah, that was good. I was, I was good, Jonathan Harker, right there. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah, old <laughs> athletic Mike, where I was like, yeah, yeah, did the best I could do. <laughs> Coming off the stage, so no, <laughs> high five, everyone. 
<laughs> yeah. Shake the hands of the audience. You, yeah, pretty well, much. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, it must have gone at least decently well, though, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, no, I'm, I'm just, a, like I said, a self-perfectionist, and I just, I, uh, yeah, I just can't stand uh, bad, not bad work. I mean, there's no such thing as bad. There's just choices and then there's stronger choices sure and so if i'm not finding those stronger choices i'm always like I'll, I'll go home it consumes me like i um i'm the guy that when everyone goes out to party after a rehearsal i'm like these lines are eating away at me like i wish i could just <laughs> let it go but i i can't i gotta i just gotta focus on and find objectives and different things like that tactics all of the above and so, um, I mean, that, that process, though, must have taken at least years to oh, fully develop. Oh, God. I mean, you, you never stop learning. Right. Uh, just like in anything, you just, you never stop. And um, for example, I, uh, I'm at kind of at a big crossroads right now because I'm at the point to where I'm graduated. I just graduated with uh, a BA in theater. Nice. Okay. Congratulations. And thank you. Um, and now it's like, do I want to uh, stay here? Or do I want to move on to like a bigger city, LA, Chicago, Minneapolis, New York, something like that? And um, I was very lucky to be able to get on the set of Little. Which, That's that uh, new one where the, it's the new movie. It's, uh, yeah. it's like reverse big. Guess, yes, right? exactly, yeah. exactly. With Regina Hall and yeah. Marseille, and uh, I, I had the privilege of meeting uh, an actor by the name of Mark Haas and. Uh, he so nice. I, I made a little post about it on Facebook because I broke like every freaking rule in the book because <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm going to talk to the actor. I'm just going to do it. Extras aren't supposed to talk to the actors, but I did it. And he, yeah. So whenever I was in L.A., he's like, I asked him if he wanted to meet for coffee. And he's like, yeah, sure. And he was telling me like, you know, experience is a lifelong thing. Training is a lifelong thing. So don't feel like you have to get all your training right now. And then, you know, then you're just going to be working the rest of your life. It's a lifelong thing. So really, I guess to answer your question, like, um, yeah, I mean, I've never really been at the point to where I can like confidently say my work is complete, mm -hmm. but, um, I mean, at some point, you know, you just got to let it go and let it, it is what it is. And a thing on stage is a thing on stage. Sure. And I, I would guess, I mean, that applies to writing too. So if you were studying oh, yeah. screenwriting, it's Absolutely. like, with that, unless you have a deadline that somebody else has given you, you can work on something forever. Right. And exactly. Like, I mean, you can constantly, yeah. I think it was George Lucas who ironically said, you know, films are never finished. They're abandoned. Right. Um, <laughs> It's like writing's that way, acting's that way to some extent. But at least like with a play, it's every like every art. Yeah. yeah, I mean everything. Every is. piece of subjective art, like unless we're talking mathematics. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's totally. What were you writing at artist. that point? Uh, before I got into. Well, when you were doing Dracula, you were seriously considering writing, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I took a screenplay writing class, and I I didn't know what I wanted at that time. I I was just a little lost, like soul who wasn't wrestling anymore trying to find his way in the world and um i mean i uh right now i'm actually i i put it aside i'll, I'll say that I, I put it aside when i started acting recently i just picked it back up and i'm starting to do a lot of audio drama work and oh, i've seen a little bit of this on facebook oh, yeah yeah thank you and one of my uh, audio dramas um 
my spiritual sequel to Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight just won first place at the National BEA Awards for Ooh. Broadcasting what, Association. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, what does absolutely. it mean it's a spiritual sequel to The Dark Knight? So um, I'm pretty, with my acting training and uh, just a little bit of raw talent, I'm pretty good at impressions. And so by spiritual sequel, I wrote sort of like what I would want to see out of if Heath Ledger was still alive oh, okay. and he was able to, you know, do another sequel to the dark Knight, you know, before rises. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. J- basically just what I wanted to do. And it wasn't that long. It was only eight minutes and I wanted to, it, it to be more, you know, even more Nolan-y than it already is. It's very interpretive. Um, it's just it takes place in one location in the Joker's cell, and essentially the concept is, what would happen if the Joker was about to die and Batman and him got to have one last conversation? And so that's, that's pretty heavy. I mean, for- it, it it is very heavy, but at the same like there's still some uh, there's still humor in it. You know, the Joker is just when you go one way, he goes the other, and it was so much fun to write that, but also be able to um, encapsulate. And act uh, as the character, as Heath Ledger's Joker, was just so much fun. Were you also being Batman? I was. I, I voiced both characters. Did you do it as the Batman voice? I tried my best. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get a hint of your Joker voice? Joker's a little harder. He has all these clicky things with his mouth. But I sort of figured it out. That yeah, I mean, I could tell immediately when you switched into that because I started hearing your tongue do weird yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's like his trademark thing, but yeah, you know, it was so much fun. And like I, uh, I recorded it at the Creative Production Lab at UNO, and uh, they have this small little sound booth, mm-hmm. and then of course, like all these computers and everyone. The day I decide to record that, like everyone for some reason decided to come and hop on a computer. So I'm like, oh crap, well I. Sorry, guys, you're in for a show. And so <laughs> just because you're in the booth, it doesn't mean that the sound doesn't travel. So I got a lot of weird looks whenever I was doing, you know, clown laughs and Batman grunts. And was there a lot of screaming this. in it? No, 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 not not really screaming. Um, it, it's really psychological. So I really wanted to leave the audience with what actually just happened and how how could this have come about? And I don't really want to spoil it because ultimately the payoff at the end, I think, is really, really interesting because we've never really seen Batman or the Joker, for that matter, in that um, in that situation. But I really wanted to explore the dynamic of I mean, they really are the same chaotic, um, neutral for Batman and the Joker is just complete chaos, but really there's only one thing separating them for the most part. And that is Batman doesn't kill. They're both above the law and so forth. And so I loved being able to write and explore that and uh, also embody the, the characters to some extent. You said the Joker's dying in it. Yes. So uh, kind of like uh, Arkham city, how he's dying there uh, this time. I mean, he's in a, he's in Arkham He's uh, in a, you know, just a heavily secure facility and he dies tomorrow. But no, uh, I wrote it. So in the intro, when Batman walks in and he basically spews exposition and he's saying like, um, you know, the courts decided this a long time ago, but they didn't want to tell you because they figured 
you might, you know, break out since you know this, which is in itself an act of injustice. But when you're dealing with the Joker, (laughs) what do you do? Um, But yeah, so uh, I'm sorry, what was your question? (laughs) No, I was was just curious because then is the idea then you're juxtaposing the death penalty with Batman's no kill rule and that's part of the thematic struggle? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all, yeah, opposites and... uh, but at the same time, one can't exist without the other. Batman really couldn't exist without the Joker. He could, but uh, there has to be some middle point. Mm-hmm. So, and Joker even says that in there. He goes, did you ever consider if you didn't exist, I wouldn't exist? You know, since Batman is above the law, there has to be an equal distribution of that on the other side. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I loved being able to to toy with that. Is is that, I mean, writing with pre-existing characters because you really want to work with them? Is it to some extent because people might check it out because they already know what it is? I, yeah, I, it's it's a bit of both. I mean, um, I'm I'm so much more experienced in acting than writing. So being able to take what I learned with my acting degree and kind of go back and go, Oh wow. I kind of forgot about writing. Like this is, this is kind of cool. And I'm so much better than what I was at the beginning. Um, that, uh, Oh man, I'm sorry. What'd you say? <laughs> no, it's like, I mean, just you could write your own radio drama, right? That's completely yeah. original. Oh yeah. People, the characters, like yeah. they may check it out. They may not, but I mean, you right. get, so whatever you're trying to explore thematically mixed with, I'm curious what his impression yeah, sounds like. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, so back to that. Um it's it's a bit of both because I mean as and I listened to a, a couple of your um do you call these podcasts? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean cool. it's like as close to radio as we can get, but no cool. radio station seems to really want it. So that we they were Yet. like, All right, we'll just build our own place. Right. Yeah, 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 do it make your own. As, right. As an artist, you always gotta do that. Um yeah, it, it's a bit of both. So when it comes to the the characters, I mean it's so much fun. You already have an existing character to go off of. It's just all I do now is take them and put them in different circumstances, which, I mean, that's what you do with acting. It, yeah. The magic if. What would you do if you were in these circumstances? How does that compare to your character? Okay, how do you get yourself to believe in what the character believes? You know, all, all that sort of stuff. And when it comes to the other side, the marketing side, it really does help because... Um, I mean, I try not to refer to my work as fan fiction. It sort of has a negative connotation. Right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, not that fan fiction is bad, but th- like I said, it's more of a spiritual, like I, this is what I would want to see if there was another sequel or a short sequel to The Dark Knight. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also right now, in fact, before I even came here, I'm writing and producing a Thanos. Uh, this is what I've one. seen a little. Yeah. I've seen you share, I think, one yeah. post about it. Yeah, uh, that I know almost nothing about. I haven't seen Infinity War. I'm completely. Oh, really? I'm okay. really culturally illiterate these days because I, I, I don't know. I got tired of Marvel stuff at some <laughs> point, and so I just haven't seen them. No, um, I, I gotcha. But um, I mean, I guess one one of the questions before you I mean, feel free to talk about that all you want. Oh, but you're it's, fine. It's interesting to me that truly successful artsy people these days seem to move like if you go to work in the industry, you're almost certainly working with pre-existing characters, uh, you're adapting things or you're making sequels to things, you're rebooting, whatever. So it seems like maybe it's smarter to already start that on a small scale because that is what the the broadest, most (laughs) 
financially <laughs> successful people seem to do. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I, I really don't know. I mean, there's no one way to success. Uh, there's tons of different ways. It still doesn't mean it's going to be any easier, though. Um, yeah, I, I more do it out of just the, the love and I'm I'm so glad that it's been acknowledged. My Batman one has, and uh, that's I'm really on a time crunch with Thanos because Infinity or uh, Endgame. Endgame comes out, yeah, uh, in a few days from now. So I'm really trying to just <laughs> uh, pump it out, but still make it good, and still also make it like something that you know, just like the the Batman one, you can listen to that, and it could you know, be at any time period. And the same thing with this. I hope that it's so different from Endgame that it stands alone and you can still listen to it out of order with uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. That's smart of you to think in terms of like what's easily accessible to a broad range of people. Right, That's yeah. been something I've been terrible at in my oh, really? creative career. <laughs> yeah, because I'm always like, here's what I'm interested in. Here's what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to throw all my like obsessions into this, and I don't know if that tracks, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's a varying success, you know. No, I, I, I get that. Um, it, it was honestly more... If I wouldn't have taken the radio class, I wouldn't have known that audio drama was even a thing that I could do. And so, again, like... To the kids out there, try everything. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, like you never know. And I, you know, not to get all acting nerd on you. Uh, Konstantin Stanislavski has one of my favorite quotes that I just try to live by, especially since I'm trying to journey into new avenues, which is don't love yourself in the art. Love the art in yourself. Okay. I need to... Let's let's parse that out because I <laughs> sure. think I maybe get it, but it's abstract. So essentially, I interpret it as you know he's talking about the 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 ego, the the fame of it all. You're in the art, you're in, on the red carpet, whatever it might be. That's not the goal. The goal is to love the art within you. What can you bring to the table? Okay, because so you're unique. You, right. you know, if you if you were to to uh, play a character, you would have a totally different take on it than someone else just because you are totally unique and different than sure. anyone else in the world. And so that's essentially what he's saying. No matter what you do, bring your best, put your best foot forward. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Okay. So, all right, <laughs> let's go back to the, the story. So you, sure. you, Dracula happens at that point Were you convinced like, okay, acting is my oh, thing yeah. now. Yep. As soon as, yeah, I can still remember opening night. Um, I walked out for the first time and being on that stage. Uh, it was, yeah, just like anyone that gets bitten with the acting bug will know what I'm talking about. It's it's just electric, and especially when you have a great cast, when you have a great director, and there's just that dynamicism happening that you're truly in the moment. There's just nothing better than that. Right. Nothing better. That's and so you're like, I'm going to chase that high, even yeah, though it's yeah. rough to actually get oh anywhere with it. Yeah, absolutely. And so what was next? Uh, what came next? Uh, I decided I switched my major. Uh, I was undeclared at that point, and um, I was like, okay, I'm doing this. And I switched it to theater and uh, gotten heavily involved in that. I did a few more productions at UNO. and uh, yeah. And which, then, which productions did you do? Oh God, I've done a lot. <laughs> well, we like the the benchmark. The yeah, big absolutely. Ones for you. Um, can I listen? Yeah, uh, 
Quite On, which was directed by um, Cindy Faneth and Izumi Ashizawa, which was uh, a really interesting... It, it's n- not... Are you familiar with Walk the Night in Omaha? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my friend Leah Cardin has worked on that. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Um, it was a really cool take. I- Izumi Ashizawa came from Japan. She wrote this, uh, adapted this script from actual Japanese folklore. And we were able to perform uh, all of these different things. But the cool part about it was is that at the beginning, the audience would walk in and we would hand them cups of tea and they would be able to drink. And then from then on out, you're standing, you're going everywhere, you're journeying inside the building, like going on this adventure. Which So is this is an immersive really, production? Oh, then? yeah. Okay, very very immersive, yeah. Yeah, Leah introduced me to immersive theater. I really had not no idea it's, about it before yeah, that. It's amazing. <laughs> so I saw Walk the Night when they did Romeo and Juliet. Like yeah, two years ago, I think that would have been. There was two two productions ago, maybe. Was it two years? I don't know. But so <laughs> I, I saw that one. It, it seems like I know that their whole thing is Shakespeare, but it was hard. My one problem with what like my one exposure to immersive theater that maybe you could help me yeah. get over is so to be truly immersive, it should be like the audience participates in more than just like being talked at. But I felt like the one I went to was kind of like, and, and part of it's just because it's Shakespeare. And so it's like, right. how much can you really just jump into a scene there, uh, <laughs> you know, flawlessly or seamlessly? But uh, I mean, do some of the shows like that one where the audience is participating more than just like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. pull you off to the side and yell oh, some yeah. lines at you? Uh, yes. Yeah. There are so many shows like that. Uh, Kwai Don was not one of those, but I just at KCACTF, which is an acronym for the Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival. Okay. Happens every year. Um, so last year I got to participate. Uh, I saw, which it's a show. It was like the, oh, I, I don't remember the exact name, but it was like the crazy prom of 89 or something okay. like that. And so it's a prom. The stage or the set, if you will, was literally a ballroom. And these actors, like there was kind of a script, but there wasn't. But these actors were playing like, you know, the stereotypical high school characters. Like there was the jock who liked the girl, the nerd who also liked the girl. And um, it was so much fun, especially since like everyone there, it was a theater festival. Everyone there was an actor. And so everyone participated in it. So I was the guy I was the whole time I was trying to hook up uh, the nerd character with the really hot character. Just as an audience member. Just as an audience member. That's cool. I, I was okay. talking yeah. to him. I, I was like, dude, no, I, I think you really got a chance with her. And he's like, you really think so? And, you know, and and it was so much fun to try and, like, be this dude's wingman. Like, we created our own story just out of improv. That's got to be so hard to put a show like that together. But as far as, like, truly immersive, that seems yeah. like that's got to be kind of where you want it to be, right. right? Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's ultimately the goal, and they did such a great job with it. I've always thought Dracula would be a cool immersive show. No kidding. <laughs> Has anyone done that? Is that a thing already? Um, I don't, not that I know of. I mean, shoot, they're, they just made, what was it? Some high school just did like a play version of Alien, so anything is possible. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to be in that world, though. That uh, sounds kind of scary. I love Dracula. That's the idea, because like, when I was thinking of what's truly immersive in my actual experience, it's like haunted houses are all already kind of flirting with it, minus there really being a story. Right. I um, mean, yeah. Some haunted houses do, though. Like they, they, they tried to throw a little bit of story in there, but... They're hard. I Even think. escape rooms, I guess. Or, uh, right. Yeah. I think you can do so much more when you don't have to focus on trying to freaking cattle call people in and out. Um, right. With, and escape rooms, I think, do that. 
can do that very well, right. that uh, genre, if you will. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So you did an immersive show. Yeah, I did that. And then it was straight to um, Shakespeare's Dog, directed by Jack Serby. And I would say this is where I really, um, really found myself as an actor. This is the show. Um, everyone has their show. And I mean, you're constantly finding yourself. But this was the one where... Um, for whatever reason, it just clicked. And it's so interesting how life and art completely mimic each other, even as an actor. Uh, I played Will Shakespeare. Shakespeare's Dog was about a young Will Shakespeare who thought he wanted to be an actor. And then everyone sees him act and they're like, uh, dude, you suck. <laughs> and so then he's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then he writes this thing for fun and some people take a look at it and they're like oh my gosh this is amazing so it's almost like it's like the opposite of your trajectory exactly yeah exactly yeah and so i was really able to bring that that was the first time i was really able to like that i sort of knew what i was doing and i was able to bring a really strong piece of myself from my life into this production and uh yeah there's so many good quotes in there but it, i remember uh in terms of writing, I, I love this quote, which when uh, Shakespeare, at the end of it, he constructs this big play to try and impress this um, guy named Sir Richard, this big actor, and it just goes horrible. Like, he he casts his mom and dad in roles, and his dad, like, falls asleep while he's performing, and, <laughs> and he casts the town drunk Davy as a role, and he doesn't know how to act, and... Oh yeah, it, it was so. It sounds fun. relatable for anyone who's working in local arts. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, at the end of it, uh, like when it all just crumbles to pieces, uh, Sir Richard comes up to him and he goes, "Well, Shakespeare, when you're writing your characters, I don't want to see you. I want to see me. When the hero wins, that's me. When the hero climbs the mountain at the top of the mountain, that's me." When the hero has to make the plunge down into the deep sea, that is me. And, and in, <laughs> I remember being on stage when he said that to me, and I'm like, holy crap, you're right. Like, yeah, that's I, what it's all about. That is a great way of phrasing that idea. Yeah. And that is hard to wrap your mind around because yeah. you only really know how to write from you to start with. Right. But you have to disguise it enough that it looks <laughs> like them. Yeah, and I, I think no one... When you see truth, you can't deny it. And I think that's the goal of every actor is to give truth. Because, I mean, you don't have to be a professionally trained, go to college for training theater actor or film actor to know what good acting is. I mean, pretty much anyone can tell you what good acting is and isn't based off of someone's performances. So I think, yeah, that's why it's just so important to to be as truthful as possible. Right. Well, okay, so then you found yourself. You're like, okay, I'm comfortable. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, I can do I'm it. I'm like, wow, I can do this. Like, I can really bring something to the table. And then, uh, then, funny enough, with every high as an actor, there's a low. <laughs> and I come off of this great high with that. And the next semester, I didn't even get cast. Wow. Okay, but... I mean, this is just in college shows? Yeah. So were you trying to audition for other stuff or were you just well, thinking? Well, that was kind of the lesson I learned. It's like, because uh, I was so geared up. I was like, I, I, 
I knew what role I wanted and I knew I was going to just get it. And there wasn't even an option that I wasn't going to get it. Like, Which role was that? Uh, it was in The Guard, a play called The Guard. Okay, I don't know if I know that one. Really interesting play. Um, but I really wanted to experiment with uh, being outside of my type. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a, a character in it where you play a child and also kind of a, a, a grungy uh, art person, you know, covered in tattoos, but also very, very uh, intelligent when it comes to, and very passionate when it comes to the art. And I wanted to play that role so bad. And it's, it's just a lesson you learn. You, you just sometimes <laughs> don't get it. And so it made me ultimately have to go out into the community. And I auditioned five times. And it was like, even <laughs> if I could go back now and tell you how like little amount that is, like it might tell myself how little five times is in the real world. <laughs> Uh, but it felt like an eternity. It's like, I'm not acting. What's wrong? I just got off of this big role. Like, what? Yeah, like, why <laughs> like, are you coming to me with roles? Right, yeah. <laughs> My little actor ego then. <laughs> um, so what was the next one you got? Yeah, so I did. I finally, funny enough, I was taking a, a singing class at the time. And I wasn't able, I wanted to audition for Carrie the Musical. I wasn't able to make the auditions. And I'm like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to like send him my music final, my singing final. And I did. I sent them uh, a video audition. I didn't tell them that was my singing final, of course. Well, they don't care, do they? Really? I mean, it, it works. They don't care yeah. now. I mean, it's two years ago. I mean, um, if you're talented, do they really care how you're expressing that? And yeah. if, if you're what they're looking for, I right. think they'll overlook a lot of things. Right. Yeah. That That's that's so true. That's a very good point. Um, but yeah, um, so I sent that in. And a few weeks later, I got an email saying that they offered me the role of Tommy Ross in Carrie the Musical. And that, <laughs> that was my first musical. That's pretty big, too. I mean, that, that, it was fun. It was such a fun show. But uh, I remember being kind of like, oh, by the way, Carrie the Musical is the biggest Broadway flop ever. Is it really? It Bigger is. than that Spider-Man one? They're, they're, oh, is it? It, they're pretty close, if I remember right. <laughs> that's that's bad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but tell you what, it it worked. It really worked because um, Snap Productions and Shelterbelt at the time was such an intimate setting, an intimate proscenium where you could only, geez, you could only fit like 20, 30 people, something like that. Is that the one right by California Taco? Yes. It, okay. Yeah. Right, yeah I've been yeah. there a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. That's very small. Very small. Uh, it's cool. I mean, that's definitely the kind of space where you're so close to the actors. You feel like there's that definitely that connection right. you make right away. Absolutely. It, yeah. It, and it's fun. It's more like film acting than like, you know, classical proscenium acting where you mm-hmm. really have to make sure everything's enunciated. Yeah, um, you could probably whisper and they can hear I, you yeah, in the back. You really could. I mean, we, you know, we're still trained to project either way. But, um, yeah, you really could. And then, but yeah, it, I think that worked because of the intimate setting and it was such a, an intimate story. And we tried to, uh, the director and everyone tried to make everything pla- practical. We used, um, uh, you know, not real blood, but actual like uh, fake blood that would be dumped on, uh, the actress every night. I bet that sucks to have to clean. Uh, <sighs> I would not want to be in that position, man. She got, yeah. I mean, and in Dracula, it was the same thing for me. I had this animatronic baby ripped apart, like right in front of me. I, I was, yeah, laying down on a bed, and these vixens come out and they tear this baby's head off, and blood just 
pours down on me. And I remember the first night I thought it was so cool. You know, everything was so new to me and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> like I was screaming like on stage and then I get off stage and it's the blood's chocolate. So I'm like licking my hair and like, you know, <laughs> yeah, so you, to, then they go from like, this is amazing. I'm part of this cool gory scene to like, well, this guy have to clean this now. Yeah. They're and like, then my like, face yeah. is dirty. Oh yeah. By the end of the run, I was like, I am so done with this. My hair is <laughs> sticky. Every part of me is sticky. This is really <laughs> well, so yeah. Uh, yeah, so I mean, so Carrie uh, goes well. Oh yeah, Everyone Carrie went it. well, and then... we should tell uh, Bono he should come do Spider Man down in Shelter Bell. <laughs> it works. It <laughs> the works. space is right. I'm telling you, you may not you know make a million dollars a night off of ticket sales, but let me tell you, it it'll, works. It'll look like a success when only twenty <laughs> people show up there. <laughs> it's true. It's a full house. <laughs> um, so then after that, was it like Spring Awakening? Okay. Is it easier for you to get roles after that one, though? Because, I mean, that's got to be a little bit higher profile, at least among the local theater community. You know, it's funny. Um, it's funny you say easier to get roles. I'm at the point now, I guess, uh, you know, two years after Carrie, where I'm fine. People are finally coming to me and saying, like, even people who don't really know me, like, that's how I got cast in shit. I know you did the, the podcast with Danny. Mm-hmm. And uh, their producer, Todd Graves, was the one. He saw me in Level Up and was like, hey, you really should come and audition for this. Like, th- this would be totally great for you. Like, they didn't know you? They just reached out? And no, said, they just they saw. Oh, yeah, okay. they saw me at Level Up. And they I guess they liked my work enough that they wanted to. That's flattering. That's yeah, exciting. It, it, yeah, that's that's always always nice. I mean, shoot. <laughs> well, that, yeah. me, so, that, so wait a second. So how many years ago was Carrie? Carrie was two. Two years ago. Yeah, okay, two so years ago. in two years you've made, you've gotten to where you wanted to be after that, uh, yes. after you were Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Okay. But yeah, it, I'm so glad I, I had to have that experience of not getting a college role. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> <laughs> well, so then you've sort of like gone and done a lot of things since then, right? So yes, what, are the, yeah. what are the other plays? So Spring Awakening. And what were so the- I did Spring Awakening. Uh, one of my favorite plays that I did in college was a play called Maratsad. I don't know that one. Okay, so it's, it's a freaking weird play, <laughs> but I loved it. It was... Um, so our director, uh, our directors, excuse me, Laura Marsh and Doug Patterson... They wanted to set this play within a play. And so what we did was it, we, we were prisoners, but we were prisoners putting on a play. So the acting, you know, prisoners aren't trained actors, so we had to kind of unlearn <laughs> what we learned. But it was so much fun. We would do these crazy long improvs as our characters. And by the end, you're like, oh, my gosh, who am I? Like, it, it was so much fun. And that's where I really learned, like... it. it if you want to like the stereotypical method acting of really becoming the character. And uh, there were some times like I remember because I, I played the antagonist. This was like my first real big villainous antagonist role. And it was so much fun. I, uh, the, the thing that did it for me was that I remember I would come off a stage and I would see the, the main character who was played by Brandon Williams and we would kind of walk past each other. And I remember my adrenaline flashed once. And I'm like, oh, my God, are we about to fight? And I, and then it just hit me. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm really getting into the role. Like, it just – because I, we were all on stage the entire time. We had zero breaks because it was a prison common area, essentially. 
but yeah, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And every night was so different. We were improving so much because I mean, half the, the script, half of the, the idea was that we were prisoners putting on the play. So, I mean, it, it was different every single night and I loved it to pieces. That's gotta be like a great next step. So oh, you, like, you figured out how to do the more traditional acting route. Now it's like, all right, let's deconstruct it all. Right. Yeah. Oh um, gosh. Yeah. And that's got to prepare you for your, like after that, you're probably like, I can kind of figure out anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that's one thing the college does very well is that um, you get a, if the program is good, which luckily uh, it was for me, it'll give you a little taste of everything. And uh, I was very fortunate in that regard that I have, I got to play so many, a wide variety of roles. Like, yeah, playing a, a really raunchy prisoner. But I mean, the, my favorite scene was at the end when my character finally broke down uh, and was just, you know, talked about his abuse, uh, which led him to that moment. And yeah, it was it was just so much fun to, to play that arc of, you know, being just this horrible antagonistic person to, oh my God, he's human. <laughs> right. That vulnerability coming through. Yeah. And yeah. And it's so much funny now that we're kind of laying everything out on the table. Every single part that I've done has prepared me for the next. And I think just about every actor will say that's the case for them. Hopefully. I mean, that, Hopefully. at some point you're like, well, okay, I guess I'll do the dumb thing now. Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes you got to do that. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Um, yeah, and then my next role, I played a, a genocidal maniac, so it prepared okay, me yeah. for that. Yeah, <laughs> who was the genocidal maniac? Uh, I played Charles Sturman. Okay, and, and what was the play? He's the, the clearing, and so basically, oh, that's, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, the clearing. He was uh, heavily inspired by Oliver Cromwell, who, in this case, uh, ethnic cleansed most of Ireland, mm-hmm. and yeah, just wanted to completely get rid of the Irish notion as a whole um because it yeah it just didn't fit with their english ideals i mean there's so much that went into that i'd prefer not to go into it but was there was it appealing to you to try to figure out where do i find the humanity in a repulsive person that is exactly what the main challenge was and uh laura marsh the director of that was so good it was such a great collaboration between um her eye and the rest of the the cast of you know how do we because clearly uh, the playwright wrote it as this guy is one note. He's um, just constantly just being a dick. I mean, especially to all the characters there. And it was, it was quite the challenge to try and make this character human. But ultimately um, I was very excited when the KCACTF respondent came and reviewed it. And he, he said, uh, yeah, I hated you before you started walking. But as the play went on, I was like, oh, my God, I want to hate you, but I can't now. Like, I, I just want to hate you, but I, I can't because you're doing that. And uh, like, <laughs> stop, stop, stop doing that. <laughs> well, it's how did you I mean, what was the in to try to figure out how do I humanize this guy? Then what would you end up landing on? Play the love. Um, OK, how so? It, OK, so um, brief elevator pitch of the story. There's a. um Essentially, it, 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 it goes on even today. Um, the Irish people have a choice in this time period. It's to hell or Connaught. Essentially, they have to either be transplanted to Connaught or you die. And that was Oliver Cromwell's big thing. That actually happened. 
So there's an English man and an Irish woman, and they're married, and they are happily married. But this hell or Connet thing, the English man, the main character, doesn't want to leave, while the wife uh, really, like, she wants to survive, mm-hmm. essentially. And uh, it, it's about what happens between their relationship. I'm good friends. My character, Charles Sturman, is good friends with the Englishman. And I'm the one pushing him, like, Irish or witches, you know, you, you, you married an Irish woman. Like, you know, what are you thinking? But, uh, and the way he's written, he's so stern. He's like, gosh, he's like, if, um, if, uh, what, who's the, who's the guy off of hell's kitchen? I don't know. Gosh, what's his, I, I, why can't I remember his name right now? That's okay. Uh, Whatever. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, he's, he's just like, he's so strict. He's a drill sergeant. He's, just a really, really Gordon no. Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay. Right, Thank you. It, yes. Yeah. yeah. He's like that. If Gordon Ramsay had a, a baby with a guy off a full metal jacket, like that's <laughs> that's like that's Charles Sturman. But what really humanized him for me was I'm I'm doing this out of a place of love, and every time he would defy me because he was the main character was just in love with his wife and wouldn't leave her. You know, it would always have to come from a place of love for me. And ultimately, I think that's what why the audience was able to to sympathize with me. And it's interesting because at the end, I remember um, there's the, this court scene where I my character would just take control. And it was the court scene for should the wife go to Connor or like what what should happen? Should she die? Like how how should this happen? And I take control and I'm just like, you know, pointing my finger in every direction and like, you know, the the Irish are witches and no, this woman needs to, you know, fall to me and I'll take care of her. And then at the end, like there's, and it happened so just naturally. I remember being there and a light bulb, like a switch happened and I go, oh my God, I just did to the main character what happened to me. So the, the, my character's backstory was essentially my wife died because the Irish killed her. Okay, yeah. So I guess that's what I was wondering. Yeah. I, I feel like it's always going to come down to something where yeah. these guys always are at least characterized as they don't really know what to do with some com- complex emotional... Exactly. Probably like a lot of times it is something that is unfair that happened to them, but they don't know what to do with the feelings that right. they have about it. And it manifests in some horrific way. Right. <laughs> it's, but like, yeah, like that emotional complexity and dealing with it is something that everybody has so those human. basic problems. It's so human. Exactly. Right. And so that probably feeds into the current role, right? Anthony Brenner. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anthony. I mean this like, yeah, like I said, every single role prepares you for the next. And yeah, Anthony will definitely be uh, probably the hardest thing about it is that, you know, it was when Danny was talking about it with me, it, it was supposed to be a feature and it still might be. Um, so we're trying to condense all of this material that he had down into this short film, which is um, very tough in the matter of like you, you got to be really particular what you want left in, what you don't and so forth. So, I mean, that's, um, the, yeah, the goal for me is how can I act, uh, stay truthful to the circumstances, but also in a way that the audience will, you know, really be able to, to 
see the backstory in my eyes, if that makes sense. Is there any trepidation about playing that kind of evil sort of human, though, where it's like, do we want to humanize this guy? You know, mm, for me, it's always, no matter what, I mean, you can say, um, you know, Hitler is a monster, but he was still human. At the end of the day, he was. And I'm not defending him in any way, but even the most egregious people are still human and they still knew love. And that's why, God, I mean, that, you know, if you look at uh, Thanos, uh, I know you haven't seen Infinity War, but. I he, think I know the gist of the story, yeah, yeah, but like, I don't know that, the particulars. You know, they made him understandable. And I mm-hmm. think that is more the goal, is for people to understand the character's motives. And if, you know, they get to empath- empathization, that's that's great, but that's not really the goal. The goal is to, you know, let the audience understand why and then let them make their own, oh, do I hate him? Or, or wow, I can actually, if I were in that position, I'd probably do the same thing. Don't you think people are scared, though, about understanding why and understanding the humanity of these people? Like, it's much easier when you think of historical atrocities to be like, no, it's just some monster, right? right. If it's a human with relatable emotions, there's something scary because then it's like, oh, I'm, I'm a human, too. He's like, it's always he's a human like I am. And that's why we need art. Yeah? Okay, explain. <laughs> oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? That's why we need... I mean... Oh, man, I really like just if you look around right now. Uh, OK, so yeah, just not, jump into it. Jump not, in I'll, everything. I'll just jump into it. <laughs> um, one of my professors, Doug Patterson, always used to say, and I didn't really get it at first. Um, art is always political, always. And I go, no, that's not true. Like art's never political, like not always. You know, we, otherwise we wouldn't have Mamma Mia. Like, or something like that, you know, something that's just a really fun time where the audience goes and just wants to laugh. But the older I get, the more I'm like, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe art isn't always political, but it will always be a byproduct of politics. If you look at um, most of the, the world's worst regimes, what they always do, the first thing they do is make it so people can't go to the theater. People can't express themselves in any way. Um, Right now, what is interesting to me, and again, I don't have necessarily facts to back this up, but all people do, all we see is debate. Debate, 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 debate. You're not changing anyone's mind with debate. In fact, if you debate someone, you're only going to pull them closer with their ideals. But art is different. Art um, attacks, not attacks, but dives into the subconscious. And it's a way for just people, you know, if a play is done well, you know, you can, for that moment, see people living in a completely different culture for that moment and get uh, a taste of what that's like. And and so... um, yeah, I mean, maybe art isn't always political, but we need it, especially when, you know, the times like right now are just absolutely crazy and we're just so divided against each other. That's that's what I mean. Yeah, well, I, I think it is fair to say all art is political because, I mean, 
it, like you're saying, it is the byproduct of a lot of politics. It's like every choice you make is political, really. We just don't always want to think of it that right, way. Right, right. Um, and sometimes, like you're saying, I think if we go to debates, you're right. Part of the problem is you have to be completely locked in to debate somebody because if you're not, then it's just a conversation. Right. We don't really have conversations. We do have debates. But yeah, and exactly. And even even as you're watching someone debate, if you're already at, like attached to someone's ideals it's like if someone's crushing the person in a debate that you like it's probably still gonna resonate like you're gonna go oh no i want to you know see someone fight for my ideas deals and win it it it's still it doesn't pull you out of it right it is it's more like going to watch a fight or a sports game of some sort really Um, yeah well, and so, okay, so this movie, I mean, you were drawn to it in some ways because you want people to have to confront some of these darker questions mm-hmm. of humanity, and you're like, you know, you can bring some of that out for people. Is that something you're thinking about, or is it just, this is an interesting challenge for me, and as a result of that, I can <laughs> um, also do these other no, cool things? No, no, with, with me, it's um, kind of like a, what I was saying before. I I, um, I want to, as an artist, I want to tell someone's story. I mean, that's essentially what it is. And that's why um, I, I do, I think all of us as actors do a lot of research into what we do. Um, I want to tell the best, most truthful story I possibly can. And uh, sometimes it doesn't always go that way. But um, for me, I mean, I since mass shootings are such a prevalent thing right now, it, it's important to me that we make Anthony like we, we don't really know. We don't really know what there isn't a main cause of mass shootings. In fact, some statistics point to the fact that we talk about mass shootings so much is the reason why there's so many mass shootings. 11. Uh, I read a statistic. I can't necessarily name the source, but I spoke with a psychologist um, and she sent me all of this stuff about mass shootings and there was a statistic like 11 out of 10 or no, no, no. 11 out of 20 mass shootings uh, were uh, copycat mass shootings to where they, they just, they saw a mass shooting and they're like, wow, I, I want to do something like that. Be like someone who's famous, you know, it, right, trying to get fa- their, chasing fame yeah, the chasing same way fame. you exactly. like act like someone you like. Exactly. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So it, it is very important, and that's why we get we need to make sure this story is grounded in reality as as well. And so, yeah, it's it's a challenge. It, it's really a challenge for all of us, uh, producers, Danny as the director, uh, you know, act, actors for sure. Um, and yeah, without spoiling too much of the story, I mean, in the end, kind of like what I was saying, always play the love it I think for me it always comes back to that if there was just one person that would have treated uh Anthony Brenner like a human being if there was just one that you know would have extended their hand out for him maybe he wouldn't have gone and done what he did and so this movie can be a way for people to maybe reflect on the way they treat others in some ways too okay that's what I hope that's what I hope people are able to take away from it that's that that seems very noble yeah (laughs) Uh, well, well, thank you. I'm, I'm just. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Thank you. I really appreciate that. What else do you have going on these days? Oh, um, well, I'm in the Woodsman at the Blue Barn. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's. Oh gosh, that's been so 
cool. It's something I've never done before. I've never worked with puppets. Uh, and it's been crazy. Like I still really don't know what I'm doing. We're only one week into rehearsal. So are you operating the puppet? I'm operating. Let, let me think. I think as of right now, I'm only operating two. That's that's a lot of puppets, though. That's more it's than most people puppets. ever operate. Yeah, my, my favorite is the witch on a stick. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're you're juggling Anthony Brenner and puppets right now. Uh, yes, in fact, yeah. The other day I had a a shoot in the morning, and I literally as soon as we got done with the shoot, we had to like cancel it early because I had to go straight to rehearsal, and I had rehearsal the rest of the day. So, yeah, is that hard for you emotionally to switch gears like that? I mean, yeah, it's, it's tiring, but it's, you know, when yeah. I even posted this to, to Facebook when I wrote a post about it, it's like when you love what you do, you, you do it. <laughs> and it's the same thing for this. It's I there's never really been a day where I've gotten up, gone to one of the projects or any project that I've ever really done and thought, man, I really don't want to be here. That's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which. <laughs> Which is like when <laughs> when I moved to, you know, wherever I decide to go, the big city, and I really start doubting, like, oh, my God, do I really want to do this? At least I'll always have that. It will, so is that the next plan, then? You're going to move to one of the uh, bigger hubs? Yeah, most likely. Um, like I said, I was accepted to the Stella Adler uh, studio, of, not studio of acting, art of acting studio in L.A. Okay. And so I just uh, audited that, and I'm still deciding as of right now if I want to commit to another two and a half years of training since I just graduated or do I want to go somewhere, start pounding the pavement and really, uh, yeah, really just start trying to get roles and get my name out there. Is the, okay. So as far as that goes, you think like if I study somewhere prestigious, maybe I will unlock some additional talent, <laughs> but also like that's, when you go to that, they probably just make you do a bunch of acting, right? So mm -hmm. to some extent, you're still just having to act a lot. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. you're like, can I get there on my own? Do I need right. what they have? And it, I, I don't know. How do you um, juggle that? Well, I mean, yeah, it's just like what I said earlier. Training is lifelong mm -hmm. and experience is lifelong. And so, um, yeah, you, it, it, there's no right answer. That's the, that's the problem, Tom. Like, I wish there was because I was so stressed because... I really wanted to go to Stella like so badly. And, but there's a lot of people saying like my mentor, Jack Zerby, he's saying I shouldn't. And a couple of the people in the movie little were saying, I really should just focus on, uh, you know, advancing my, uh, the business side of my career as opposed to getting more training. Cause I, I can always go back is the thing, you mm -hmm. know, I got accepted now fresh out of, college so i yeah that's that's the problem even though i audited stella the the class and it blew my mind it was the coolest thing ever um uh, really really great actors there well what kind of career do you see i mean are you gonna chase theater film both whatever i'm thinking film uh as of right now there's something i mean really uh i got the chance to talk to michael stahlberg uh, or Stuhlbarg, excuse yeah. me. I love A Serious Man. That's oh, one of my favorite was, movies oh, ever. Was, uh, were you there when uh, he was in town? And I they... wasn't able to make it, no. And I live like oh. two blocks away from the Dundee, oh, so it's, no. it's, it was you, the saddest thing. You should have snuck in. I'm sure you I have like, the, the, <laughs> the key to the back door or something. <laughs> um, 
yeah, it was it was really cool to be able to meet him. I met him there, and then he came to UNO also, and I I attended both because I'm like I'm gonna absorb whatever information he has for young artists like me. And uh, yeah, he ha- he was just a, a a wealth of knowledge, and I couldn't have asked for more. And I totally forgot where this was going because I oh, did he like, give you advice? Excited. Did he tell you? Something? Yeah, 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 he he. He did, uh, man. It was yeah. The story was going somewhere. I don't remember the, the goy's teeth. <laughs> yeah, um, well, the goy's teeth. <laughs> it's it's in there somewhere. <laughs> it's in the- <laughs> you got some wisdom. We're not sure I what know, it means. He, he gave me some wisdom about acting. I don't oh, remember what it is right now, but um, that's <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, okay. It All came right, to you me. Found it. All right, goy's teeth. It came to me. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right, what did Michael uh, Stuhlbarg tell you? Um, I mean, I I asked him about, because he's he's trained in theater, he's trained in film, and I'm like, you know, is, is there really, because I, I've been doing research and a lot of people are saying, like, you know, film acting is completely different from theater acting, and, um, and he's like, and, and then I asked him, like, do you think that's true? He's like, no, not really. I mean, acting's acting. Uh, there are techniques for theater, and there are techniques for film. And I think that's more of the challenge is you learn the, and not necessarily acting techniques, but more just the, the, it comes with the, the storytelling medium with theater. You got to project uh, on a proscenium. You have to always acknowledge the audience at some point. But uh, w- with film, it's the same thing. You know, where do you put your eyes? Where, where's your focal point? And how do you position yourself for a close up? And, you know, how do you move? With a close-up, even though you really don't move that much, but yeah, not on a low budget level. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so when he said that, I was like, okay. I mean, I don't know much about film acting, but I'll I'll give it a go. And so yeah, and then there was Level Up, which was you know my last film before, right? Shit. Yeah, that, yeah, and that one's a little lighter. <laughs> yeah, I know it was so weird going from all of these dark roles to to uh, read in that movie, who's just a, an average Joe. Well, and that's I mean that's the whole movie is meant to be that like the hero's journey, right? right so you got to right. start with that, right? Yeah. One last thing I want to ask you about. Yeah. yeah so you do a Batman impression, you do a Joker impression, do you do a Bane impression? <laughs> is this your? Studio. Yeah, I feel like you I can put my mouth in. I don't know. Can you still hear me? I can, yeah. Do you feel in charge? <laughs> this is my immersive uh, Dark Knight Rises experience right here. <laughs> I think your uh, show is about to become ASMR. It's <laughs> oh, God. Just with Bane. Just... Now I'm going to click my fingers on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we get to that, I just want to say th- thank you for being on the show. No, I really thank appreciate you. it. It's been great talking to you. Riverside Chats is hosted by me, Tom Noblock. I produce the show along with Ben Matugu. It's through our company, Exarbin Creative. We are housed in Pet Shop Benson, Benson First Friday's headquarters. You can check out what we're doing at exarbincreative.com. Check out Benson First Friday at bensonfirstfriday.com. As always, we appreciate if you leave us any reviews, if you subscribe to whatever our stuff is on your favorite podcast app, follow us on social media. And there's one other way you can support this show, which is we have a Patreon. The show costs a little bit of money. If it's worth your time, think about it in terms of is it worth the same amount per month as maybe you spend on one coffee? 
I don't know, maybe. Maybe it's worth a dollar. Maybe it's worth uh, a less than a pack of gum to you. In which case, that's fine. We'd appreciate that. That'd be great. Throw us a dollar a month if you feel like it's worth it. Or if you want to donate more, please do. You get all kinds of cool perks. Helps us keep the show going. Helps us do what we do, which is spotlighting all of the fascinating local people around here. So you can find that at patreon.com slash exarbancreative. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another fascinating interview with another fascinating local person. <laughs>